Chapter 26 The Chain with the Tiger Eye When you, my friend, were gone from Kosambi, I dragged myself miserably through the days and nights, as a woman does who is devoured by a fever of longing and is at the same time a prey to a thousand fears on behalf of her beloved. I did not even know whether you still breathed the air of this world with me, for I had often heard of the dangers of such journeys. And now I was forced to reproach myself most bitterly because, with my foolish obstinacy, I was to blame for your not having made the journey in perfect safety under the protection of the embassy. Yet with all this, I was not really able to repent of my thoughtlessness because I owed to it all those precious memories which were now my whole treasure. Even Medini's cheering and comforting words were seldom able to dissipate for any length of time the cloud of melancholy which hung over me. My best and truest friend was the Ahsoka, under which we stood that glorious moonlit night, the tree that you, my sweetheart, have assuredly not forgotten, and to which I addressed on that occasion the words of Damayanti. Countless times did I try to obtain, by listening to the rustling of its leaves, an answer to my anxious questions, to see in the falling of a leaf, or in the play of light and shadow on the ground, an omen of some kind. If it then happened that the sign given by such a self-invented oracle bore a favourable interpretation, I was able to feel happy for a whole day, or even longer, and to look hopefully into the future. But just for that very reason my longing increased, and with the longing my fears returned as naturally as bad dreams result from a fevered temperature. In this condition, it was almost a benefit that, after a short time, my love was not permitted to live in solitary inactivity, dedicated to suffering alone, but that it was forced into a combative attitude and obliged to gather up all its strength, even if thereby it brought me to the verge of complete estrangement from my own family. It was in this way that it came about. Satagira, the son of the minister, pursued me ever more assiduously now with tokens of his love, and I could no longer show myself in a public pleasure garden with my companions without his being there and making me the object of his obtrusive attentions. Unfortunately, the fact that I didn't respond to these had not the slightest deterrent effect upon him, even though I showed him even more plainly than was polite how hateful they were to me. Soon, however, my parents began to plead his cause, first with all kinds of hints, and then with less and less reserve, and when he finally came forward to press his suit openly, they demanded that I should give him my hand. I assured them, with bitter tears, that I could never love Satagira. That, however, made little impression upon them but I was similarly as little affected by their representations, their prayers and their reproaches, and remained insensible alike to both the pleading of my mother and to the threats of my father. Driven to bay, I finally told them straight out that I'd promised myself to you, of whom they had already heard from Satagira, and that no power on earth could either force me to break my word, which had been sacredly given to you, or to belong to another. And I added that if the worst should come to the worst, I would kill myself by persistently refusing all nourishment. As my parents now saw that I was quite capable of carrying out this threat, they finally gave the matter up, although much put out and very angry, and Satagira also now seemed to yield to his fate and be taking pains to comfort himself for his defeat in the courts of love by becoming the hero of victorious deeds on a sterner field of battle. About this time people had many terrible tales to tell of the robber Angulimala, who, with his band, had laid waste whole districts, burnt villages, and made the roads so unsafe that eventually almost no one ventured to travel to Kosambi. I became a prey, as a consequence, to horrible fears, for I naturally dreaded that you might at last be coming to me and be unfortunate enough to fall into his hands on the way. Things stood thus when news arrived that Satagira had received the supreme command of a large body of troops with which to sweep the whole neighbourhood of Kosambi, 
and if possible to capture Angulimala himself, as well as the other members of his band. Satagira had, so the story ran, sworn to accomplish this or to fall fighting in the attempt. Little as I was otherwise disposed to feel kindly towards the son of the minister, I could not on this occasion refrain from wishing him the best of success, and when he moved out, my earnest wishes for his prosperity followed his colours. About a week later, I was in the garden with Medini, when we heard loud cries from the street. Medini rushed there at once to learn what had happened. Presently she announced that Satagira was returning to the city in triumph, having either cut down the robbers or taken them prisoner. It seemed that Satagira had obtained information as to the whereabouts of the secret hideout of the band by capturing the beloved of one of Angulimala's cronies, and, through threatening both her life and promising rich rewards for their complicity, he had forced the man to betray his robber honour. Satagira had thus been able to steal up on the gang with his troops after one of their festive orgies and had slaughtered most of them where they slept. Angulimala himself had fallen into his hands alive. She invited me to go out with her and Somadatta into the street to witness the entry of the soldiers with the captive robbers, but I did not wish Satagira to have the satisfaction of seeing me among the spectators of his triumph. So I stayed behind alone, more than happy at the thought that the roads were now again open to my beloved. For so little do mortals understand of the workings of karma that they sometimes, as I did then, treat as a specially fortunate day just that one on which the current of their lives takes a turn for the worse. On the following morning, my father entered my room. He handed me a crystal chain bearing a tiger-eye amulet and asked me if I, by any possibility, recognized it. I felt as though I should drop, but I summoned up all my strength and answered that the chain resembled the one that you had always worn around your neck. It isn't like it, my father said with brutal calmness. It is it. When Angulimala was made prisoner, he was wearing the chain and Satagira at once recognized it, for, as he related to me, he'd once wrestled with Carmenita in the park for your ball and, in the course of the struggle, had seized Carmenita's chain in order to hold him back. The chain parted and remained in Satagira's hands so that he was able to examine it very carefully. He was convinced that he couldn't be deceived. And then Angulimala, when closely questioned, confessed that two years ago he had attacked Carmenita's caravan on its return to Ujjaini in the region of the Vedisa, had cut down his people and had taken Carmenita prisoner, along with a servant. The servant he sent to Ujjaini for ransom. As this was not forthcoming for some reason, he'd put Carmenita to death according to the custom of the robbers. At these frightful words I should certainly have lost consciousness, had not a possibility presented itself to my despairing mind of hoping against hope. Satagira is a low and crafty snake, I answered, with apparent calm, who would not hesitate to cheat us. And he has set his heart, or rather his pride, upon gaining me for his wife. If he, at the time you speak of, examined the chain so attentively, what was to hinder him from having one made like it? I imagine that this idea occurred to him when he first heard of Angulimala. If he had not taken Angulimala himself prisoner, he could always say that the chain had been found in possession of the robbers and that they had confessed to having killed Kamanita. That is hardly possible, my daughter, said my father, shaking his head, and for a reason which you, it is true, cannot see, but which I, as a goldsmith, can fortunately reveal. If you will examine the small gold links which connect the crystals with one another, you will notice that the metal is redder than that of our jewellery here, because we use in our alloys more silver than copper. The workmanship also is of the somewhat coarser type seen in the mountain districts. On my lips there hung the reply, So clever a goldsmith as himself would, no doubt, succeed as perfectly in the matter of the proper mixture of the gold as in turning out the characteristic workmanship, 
for I saw everyone and everything conspiring against our love and did not even trust my nearest relatives. However, I ended the matter by saying that I would not allow myself to be convinced by this mere chain that my Carmonita was not still alive. My father left me in great anger, and then, in solitude, I was able to give myself wholly up to my despair.